This is episode 54 of Cinescope. And hey Max, look, it's the Leaning Tower of Chiza. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Andrew Grant to talk about one of our favorite films, A Goofy Movie. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, Chad. Thank you. I'm excited to have you back. It's been a little while. The last one we talked about, I think, was Muppet Treasure Island back around episode 31 or so. So it's it's good to have you back and... It's funny, we're actually going to be talking about another one of those movies that we've sort of referred to as our staples, where it's just one of those ones we reverted to when we wanted something to watch. Yes, uh, absolutely love a goofy movie. Definitely had to revisit it after it came out, seeing the fact that we were not very old when that happened, um, but we've definitely enjoyed it in the years since. We have. It was just one of those movies that if we wanted something short, feel good, we'd put it on. Even in college, <laughs> when we were living together then, uh, we would put on this movie just to put in the background. So real quick, how about you reintroduce us to exactly who you are real quick, and then we will get into our discussion. Of course. Uh, again, my name is Andrew Grant. I am Chad's roommate, um, longtime friend. Happy to be on the show. I love this kind of project that I get to help with every now and again. I went to school with Chad at Texas Tech and Poteed and all of those. <laughs> um, and uh, now we currently live together um, yet again. We definitely enjoyed being roommates and definitely love movies, uh, which is why this project seems to work very well with between our personalities. Yeah, we're, we're still living together at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, probably not for too much longer, but it's been a, a good time living together basically for the majority of the last seven years. So here we are, and uh, let's go ahead and start talking about a Goofy movie. Sounds great. Let's get into it. This movie was released on April 7th of 1995 and was directed by Kevin Lima, who went on to also direct Tarzan for Disney, uh, co-directed with Chris Buck, the live-action 102 Dalmatians, the TV films Eloise at the Plaza and Eloise at Christmas Time, and then the 2007 film starring Amy Adams, Enchanted. The film was written by Jim Megan, Chris Matheson, and Brian Pimentel, and the music was by, I, I didn't know this going into it, by Carter Burwell, who is known for composing all the Coen Brothers film scores except for Oh Brother Where Art Thou and Inside You and Davis, all the way back to 1984 he's been working with them. Uh, he also composes scores for Doc Hollywood, Being John Malkovich, A Knight's Tale, The Rookie, Adaptation, Twilight, Where the Wild Things Are, The Blind Side, The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn, Parts 1 and 2, The Fifth Estate, Mr. Holmes, and Noma Lisa, and The Founder. Along with Don Davis, who is most known for his work on The Matrix Trilogy by the Wachowskis, and Jurassic Park 3 and The Animatrix. The songs here were composed by various teams composed of Tom Snow, Jack Feldman, Patrick DeRemer, and Roy Freeland. The movie stars Jason Marsden, Aaron Lohr, Bill Farmer, Kelly Martin, Rob Paulson, Jim Cummings, Polly Shore, Wallace Shawn, and Tevin Campbell. So as we always start off, what was your first experience that you remember? Because as we said, we were both very young. We were both only three at the time this released. I don't know if I would have seen it in the theater with family, but most of my time watching this movie came from watching it on VHS as a kid. 
I, I would have to agree. Uh, I believe my brother obviously would have been old enough to have seen this in theaters. Um, and my family was definitely a very Disney oriented family. So when this released, it would have been a big deal in the grand household. Um, of course, I wouldn't have remembered the first time seeing it uh, more than likely. But I do remember growing up with this movie. Um, it was one of the first movies we owned on VHS. And I'm sure we quoted Leaning Tower of Chiza to nauseam. Um, I'm sure you can ask my mom that. She will, she'll definitely let you <laughs> let you know that was probably the most quoted line of the Goofy movie from my childhood. It's just a, a, a funny thing that always came up. But that my first experience would probably be about... I would have to venture around seven or eight. And then uh, it would have been at the house, obviously. And just sitting with my family and uh, watching this movie and, and having having a good time and really being first introduced to characters like Goofy and, Ma- and Max. Yeah, it's interesting that this was one of my first experiences with Goofy as well, aside from just the, the short old cartoons, because in those cartoons, Goofy was really just a, just a slapstick character. Whereas here, he actually has a little bit of depth to him and he has an arc and he has a storyline. And it was it's really refreshing looking back now as an adult, knowing where Goofy came from and seeing him as an actual fleshed out character. I really appreciate that now. Um, now, as for my childhood, it, it was one of my staples as well. It was just one of those movies we owned on VHS. It's less than 80 minutes long. It's a really short movie, but it's just cemented as one of those that I watched most often when I was growing up. And even in college with you, it's just uh, one of those movies that I love to fall back on uh, when you need to pick me up sometimes, or maybe you just need a shorter movie, or uh, we see a horror movie and we need something that's a little bit brighter to end our nights before we go to bed. We've done all those things, and this movie really fits the bill for it. So let's go ahead and move into story. What about the story here sort of attracts you? Well, initially, um, I would have to say watching it again this much later in life is a very different experience than when I first would have watched it I felt like I would have been more attracted to the the song and the kind of jovial overtones of of the majority of the movie and enjoying those really slapstick characters that's very traditional goofy just the craziness of it always getting into trouble like the smallest little thing will set off this huge chain reaction and just kind of falling in love with the fact that you know how over the top some of it was but watching it later on you definitely start to actually understand the importance that the the film is is showing you and why it one of the main reasons I love Disney is that you can get something from the movie from just about every stage of life Um, you really start to understand that no, Goofy isn't just some kind of slapstick character that he's really a father who's trying to do what's best for his son you start to understand that there's a lot of other things that play in Goofy's mind in terms of, you know, what's going on and and how he's influenced by other characters um, that kind of lead them on this road trip in the first place. Yeah, I, I do want to stress that even though Goofy is a character this time around and he is fleshed out and does have a storyline, he still very much is the Goofy that we know from those old Disney shorts. There is a lot of slapstick. There is a lot of comedy in this movie. There is lots of stuff to point and laugh at. And Goofy is certainly up to his normal antics in a lot of situations. But it goes much further than that. And you're right. It, there is something to take away at all stages of life from this movie and from a lot of Disney movies. Most Disney movies, I would even venture to say, 
that it, the way they approach storytelling is more accessible to a wider age variety. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Now, just a, a couple of small things. I, I love the the sort of meta humor that you get in this. The fact that Max's phone in his room is a, is a Mickey Mouse uh, holding the phone in his hand. Or when they play uh, 20 Questions in the Car, the, the person they're thinking of is Walt Disney. I can't imagine in what capacity Walt Disney exists in this universe since he sort of created it and jump-started it. But he exists in, in some form. So I, I think that's really funny that they reference Walt Disney by name a couple of times. And then the fact that they went the step further and they they included Bigfoot in this movie. I, I don't know who came up with that in the, the, the storyboard room. Let, let's include this mythical creature in this otherwise fairly grounded movie. I mean, it's, it's Disney, it's goofy, they're talking animals. But for the most part, this is grounded fairly grounded and then all of a sudden they're camping and bigfoot shows up and (laughs) he's running through their stuff and he's dancing to the Bee Gees and he's doing all these kind of things and it's just it's the silliest thing but uh i i really like the inclusion of bigfoot because it it adds that extra layer of comedy that uh goofy has been documenting their trip on video camera and then he videos Bigfoot after he accidentally catches him with his fishing pole and then uh, the the videotape is ultimately destroyed by Bigfoot and it makes you almost wonder how many times has this happened with Bigfoot and <laughs> how many other people have met their demise or met their, their cameras have met their demise at the hands of this uh, fantastic character so uh, small thing but it always makes me laugh and that scene's one of my favorites of the film I definitely uh, I have a feeling in the, in the story room they were just like this movie's too grounded for a goofy movie. We we need to make it just that little extra bit goofy, um, and say and add this kind of random character. Um, like who else would they meet while they're camping? Oh right, let's let's throw Bigfoot into the mix. Uh, and I definitely agree. It was it's always been one of my favorite parts. And uh, Lester's Possum Park or whatever it's called is always it's it's always just a funny scene. Yeah, and what's cool about that that Bigfoot scene is that it does give Max and Goofy a a chance to spend time together in a close space, and th- there's really no escape for either of them, so they're forced to sort of uh, bond at least a little bit in that scene. They have, they have the ABC soup, the Hi Dad soup, as Goofy refers to it, and they do have a couple of touching moments. But it, there's also the moment where Max changes the map in that scene, and that kickstarts a lot of the rest of the movie. So it. it does have its silly or even goofy elements. They definitely hold the the name literally in this movie in a lot of instances. But that that scene goes beyond just being a goofy scene and advances the plot in a couple of meaningful ways. Uh, anything else about the story before we start talking about characters individually? Um. Yes. There's actually one that one of the more serious parts of the movie is when they're like coursing down the river and having this really heated argument. Um. And I think it added a very real sense to the film in the in a way of uh, when things finally come up, when fi- things finally kind of hit that critical point. It's not like this, you know, a lot of movies will let's have this like one touching moment or, you know, the character will just finally say what they're thinking and, and everything's kind of resolved from that point on. It's it's very chaotic when when things kind of hit that critical point. You have these kind of opposing forces between Max and Goofy and, you know, a son just wanting to be anything but his dad and his dad just wanting to connect with his son again. And 
in the scene where they're just rolling down the river and both yelling at each other, finally talking about like why Goofy's so worried that Max is going to go to prison and end up in the electric chair and why Max just wants to, you know, be with his friends and move on with his life. It's just, uh, it seems like a very real moment. Like I, I've, I've been in that situation. I've seen that happen where, you know, once it just hits that point, it's not a nice scene. It's not a, you know, it's not just like a, you know what? You're right. You know, I'm sorry. I'm being so, you know, such and such. It's, it's a lot of tension and it's a lot of, you know, vinegar and things have to be said. And it's, it's hard to hear and it's hard to, to get to that point. But obviously from that point on, things resolve themselves. You know, they really do start to connect father and son. They see each other eye to eye (laughs) (laughs) um and uh sorry uh but uh it they they finally recognize like where the other is coming from um and i think they did a really good job at presenting it and and how more often than not those kind of situations would resolve themselves yeah it's another one of those scenes where they're isolated they have nowhere to go but to confront their problems and it it turns out for the best uh, as you were saying um, and that actually segues pretty well into just talking about the characters. So Max is just our typical teenager character. I mean, he's he's beginning to be interested in girls. He's worried about his image. He's picked on at school a little bit. He he just wants to, as he sings, stand out from the crowd. And he, he wants Roxanne to notice him. It, it It's very real teenage struggles about trying to sort of find a place in the world and finding somebody to form a relationship with. So I like how this character is fairly grounded in being a, a very relatable character because it's something that we all struggle with in some capacity at some point in our adolescence. I want to just touch on the point that when the movie opens, it's literally a nightmare of Max becoming his father. <laughs> right. Like, there's nothing worse in Max's mind than becoming exactly like his father. And that seems to be such a a juvenile adolescent thing to think you just don't want to be associated they they seem old they seem distant they seem you know outdated outmoded they're just not on your level when in all reality it's kind of the other way around that maturity of the father is something to strive for and you know he may not know who the big superstar or the big pop star is and you know how to connect with his son but he's he's doing the best he can as a dad and i always found that very endearing yeah that that opening nightmare scene actually is fairly scary especially to a kid i think where the the teeth all of a sudden grow out of his head and he's slowly transforming bit by bit into his father it it is actually kind of scary <laughs> even now i was like wow this is kind of intense and even uh going into his real life when he's talking with uh pj or he's talking with roxanne and his father's laugh starts to slip out of him and it's it's horrifying to him oh no i'm actually actually turning into my father and then after the, the opening scene at the school and Goofy has decided to take his son on this vacation, they, uh, he, he straps him into this fishing gear and he says, you look just like I did when I was your age. And Max just responds, please don't say that, dad. <laughs> that's, that's his worst nightmare. He doesn't want to be, quote, just a goof. 
That's his last name. That's his father's name. He doesn't want to be associated with this sort of sillier character. He, he wants to be his own more serious person with more serious relationships. And it's just difficult for him to express this to his dad. He, he just wants to be the, he wants to be cool. He wants to have a girlfriend. He wants to live his life separate from his father. And like I said, that that's a very real struggle that I think a lot of us go through uh, as we're growing up. The nightmare scene definitely does give a, a very terrifying look at puberty. And like, <laughs> as a kid, you're just looking at the, the nightmare scene. It's like, oh my God, is that how that really happens? Like just one day I'll wake up and everything will just pop into place and I'll look exactly like my father. And turns out more or less, yes, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but to a kid, it's, it, you, you definitely can e- immediately connect to the character of just like, just being so afraid of, you know, being like your father when you feel that those little things that you're, you're little, that those little quirks that your dad has, or, you know, anyone in your family, I should say, has are like the worst possible thing. But it turns out that other people actually find them very attractive or, you know, that's what makes you part of the family. And it what is something that you can uh, actually really connect to on a very deeper level and in terms of relationships with within the family. And even Max going out on this vacation with his father, this this forced vacation, whether whether we've all gone on a vacation we didn't want to participate in or whether we had to go to the grocery store at an inopportune time or a family reunion when we wanted to just hang out with our friends, this is something we all relate to. And the problem Max has is that he's not able to really communicate to his father why he doesn't want to do this or why he, he would rather stay at home and who this girl is he's going after. There, there's this lack of communication both ways, really, but especially here in the beginning from Max to his father, just explaining what's going on in his life and why he's trying to sort of be his own person and what he's trying to pursue. And it's not until later, once Goofy starts being less of a controlling father as Pete is trying to get him to be and starts accommodating Max and he gives him map duty and says, hey, you get to pick the stops for, for the rest of the way to our destination. Once once Goofy starts that accommodation, Max actually starts to accommodate Goofy at the same time by he, he, he goes to the uh, theme park and his dad's not too into the theme park. It makes him sick. But Max says, well, OK, well, then let's go. Let's go to this ball of yarn shack. Uh, that's something my dad would be interested in. And hey, it's not, it doesn't look too bad to me either. So they start helping each other out. They start picking things that they both might have a little bit of an interest in. It all comes from communication. At the at the end of it all, end of the movie, he's both more open to that time spent with his dad, forced or not. He's enjoying it more. He's enjoying his dad's company and is understanding that, hey, maybe becoming like my dad isn't the worst thing in the world. And he's honest with Roxanne. He's he's learned his lesson. He's not lying anymore. He's going to go to her and he's going to tell her the truth, no matter the consequences, because the consequences to lying, he's spent the whole rest of the movie understanding and grappling with. So it, there, there really is this really solid arc for Max over the course of the film from um, not communicating with his father to eventually getting on the same page with and then learning from his lessons at the end of it all. Okay, now what about Goofy? I am growing. I feel like I'm going to talk about Goofy a lot because I feel like I'm I'm growing into that seeing the, the other side of a lot of things as as you grow and mature and you start to worry about like other people you start to worry about your responsibilities and you definitely see goofy taking on a lot of those you definitely see 
you know, he's he's worried about Max literally all the time throughout the entire movie and throughout Max's entire life. He's worried about him. He wants what's best for Max. He wants to do right by Max. And that's why it really strikes him when you get this kind of overreaction, not kind of overreaction, this overreaction from the principal of dressing in gang clothing and and causing riot, a riot at school and, and things like that. And you better figure it out or he'll end up in the electric chair. And it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's, it's echoing what Pete has already been telling Goofy. Uh, Pete goes through a lot of things in this movie where he's warning Goofy of what doesn't, what's going to happen if he doesn't keep his son under his thumb. And you want to believe that Pete's wrong, but he actually turns out right a couple of times and it scares Goof. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, it really strikes him because you, you, you kind of feel that pain that, you know, Goofy has been trying so hard to, to do everything to provide for Max and, and, you know, raise him correctly and it hits him that maybe maybe he's not the the kid i thought he was maybe he's he's not like my boy you know maybe he is into these other other things and is gonna end up in jail or or worse and so his mind kind of gets away from him based on not even 100 percent facts he gets away from him based on what other people are telling him within their scenarios and with their um, experiences. And you definitely feel that Goofy just, you know, kind of flips at that moment and is like, I have to do something. He has to find a way to get Maxie back. And at the same time, he's thinking back to his own childhood and years upon years and experiences spent with his own father. And he looks at the relationship he has with Max, and he doesn't have those experiences with Max. Max is very much independent at this point. Something I really had never considered before, where's the mother in the picture? At the beginning of the film, Goofy is, I mean, he's, he's fulfilling the mother role. He's cleaning up, I say the mother role, the typical mother role. I don't want to get any angry people out there at me. Um, but Goofy is very much being both mother and father at the start of the film. Um, and we don't know what the scenario is. We don't know what's happening, but it, it, he's struggling with it a little bit. Max is distant. He's he's not wanting to spend time with his dad. He's very much wanting to be his own and do his own thing. And Goofy doesn't remember that with his own father. He remembers his fond memories with his father and just wants to make some more of those himself. So those sort of mis- nostalgic memories with his own father and then these warnings from everybody else that Max is a bad kid, that he needs to be re- reconsidered how he's raising him, that he might end up in the electric chair if he continues on this path. And yes, it's all conjecture. Yes, it's not all 100% fact, but combining everything together, he panics a little bit and he thinks, okay, what can I do? Okay, surprise fishing trip. I did this with my dad. There's stops along the way that I remember that are landmarks to me of my childhood. And Max is going to love this because I love this. And you just, as a parent, really can't force your experiences on somebody else, especially your own kid. Very true, because, I mean, it's it's basically Goofy is now asking him to be exactly like him. Um, I liked this. You should like this. I did this. You should do this. And as we well know from the opening scene, that is the exact opposite of what Max wants. You know, whether that's even truly what he wants, but that's what he's afraid of. And so I I think it takes a while for them to both realize that reliving the past isn't necessarily wrong, but making your own memories is so much more important. 
And Goofy is definitely romanticizing his own childhood, and he's struggling to accept that Max is quickly not a kid anymore. And he's really forcing these things on Max without communicating. Just like Max is having a problem communicating his life to Goofy, Goofy is having problems communicating why he's doing this all of a sudden to Max. Max just sees it as sort of a power move or uh, him being overly controlling or helicoptering even. He doesn't have a reason. It's just all of a sudden, okay, my dad's forced me on this vacation that I don't want to go on and making me go to this possum park that's super lame and old and falling apart. And it's just him, like you were saying, forcing these experiences on me, things that I don't want to be, he's trying to make me be. And that doesn't work. So while Max, yes, has a communication problem, Goofy also has a communication problem because he's not explaining himself and he's not voicing his concerns to his son and even revealing that he knows about this situation that happened at school on the last day. But at the very end, they finally resolve their differences. They've sat and they've sung on the car. And Goofy, after they've started talking to each other and telling each other what's going on, Goofy does what he can to not let Max down. When Max is honest with him, he tells him the truth. Goofy is more open to him and tells him the truth. They're both more open to being friends beyond just being father's son. And that that's an important message for sure, that there needs to be communication of some kind or these relationships just aren't going to be as fruitful and as uh, positive as they could be. Very true. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, a turning moment where they not only see each other as, you know, father and son and son to father, they see each other as someone who's actually there for them, someone who has their back and they can rely on. And so once that line of communication is open, you you definitely see that they're there to support each other and they're there to do whatever it takes to make the other to fulfill the other person's goals and dreams and aspirations and they find a way to kind of make that one cohesive thing instead of you know two conflicting ideas they even sing about it they've got the song nobody else but you when they say uh, at the end of it when i start to sink i would rather go down with nobody else but you that's one of my favorite songs in the film just because of the the resolution that it brings to our characters now in contrast with these two we have pj and his dad pete pj is straight up scared of his father pete talks about keeping his son under his thumb and uh, there's this one scene where they're quote camping out in the the forest and they they've got this giant rv with a pool and a bowling alley and all this kind of stuff and pete is bowling and talking with goofy and he misses one pin and he yells at the top of his lungs for PJ to come up and he points at the pin and PJ goes and he knocks it over and he celebrates like he actually bowled a strike. And the whole time, PJ is just sort of staring at him like, well, I, I did another thing for my dad. Now, am I at least going to get some sort of approval? And Pete actually psychs him out of like a high five or something like that. It, it And PJ just sort of stands there looking upset. There, there isn't a relationship there. It's very much drill sergeant and private, right? There's not a lot of love. PJ probably sure respects his dad. He does what he's told, but there's not a relationship. And it's it's a really powerful contrast between these two families. And I, I think it's definitely making a note of like very different parenting styles in general. You, there's this thought that you kind of have this subservient child role and you are the leader of the family and you are responsible for them and have to take... And I, although that is very valid... Um, you are responsible for your children. You are, you know, kind of the leader and you may have to force them into doing things they may not want to do 
because you believe it's for their best interest, there are sometimes that that is not the case, that that isn't what needs to happen, nor is it something that needs to happen 100% of the time. And so you see that Goofy doesn't want to do it at all, which is just kind of the polar opposite. And I definitely believe that, you know, there's always that gray area, everything in with balance, that there should be that kind of leadership, but not necessarily that overbearing and, you know, oppressive force as a parent. Any other characters to talk about or even just mention? Uh, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Because in a, a movie that absolutely needs zero comic relief, Bobby is still comic relief. <laughs> so even getting in trouble at the principal's office, getting them in trouble and helping them get in trouble in the first place, just being that kind of extra character who's just over the top, even more over the top than, you know, he fits well in. He fits really well in with the movie. I always enjoy his lines. As I was saying earlier, we quoted Leaning Tower of Chiza way too often growing <laughs> up. And uh, even though he doesn't have very many lines, we I always enjoyed Bobby. He's definitely a fun side character. And I do like PJ just beyond the, the relationship with his dad. I, I enjoy PJ. Um, and then Roxanne, a great love interest for Max. As a kid, I liked Roxanne a lot. Uh, I think she would probably clarify as somewhat of a childhood crush. Even I mean... You, you look at cartoons differently as an, a kid as you do as an adult. And so Roxanne, like Lola Bunny and Space Jam or something like that, those are those are girl characters that I had in early sort of like, oh, she's cute or pretty or whatever you might think as a child. Uh, so I, I really always liked her character. And looking at it now, just it's a sweet relationship that she and Max have. And I, I really like that, that sort of early adolescent romance kind of thing. Yeah, no, uh, I did want to mention one more thing about uh, Roxanne is that she brings Max to realize that being like his father isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. Uh, in fact, one of the, the she knew that she liked Max um, the first time he laughed. And of course, Max has that traditional goofy laugh and he tries to hide it the entire movie. He like literally covers his mouth every time it slips out. And at the very end, she's she's like, wait a second that's actually what I first noticed about you that's that's why you know I actually considered liking you or, or, or us talking was your laugh and it finally clicks to Max I mean it at that point in the in the movie he's already okay with the idea of being like his father but it really you know brings it home that he had fantasized that she would never talk to him if he became like his father when in all honesty that's the opposite well, at the beginning, he sings a song, Stand Out, by Powerline, and ultimately, what, what does Goofy do beyond anything else in this movie? Stand out. And turning into his father, he's going to be very much of a standout as well, and uh, he can make that positive or negative, and at the end of the film, he definitely learns that it's it's not so much negative, and that he can see himself becoming his father, because they've got a more positive relationship. Now, the music in this film... The the score by Burwell and Davis, it, it's feel good. It references the soundtrack songs, includes little snippets of them here and there. And it's sweet in all the right moments, especially those those father-son moments between Goofy and Max, like on the car when they're resolving their differences. And at the end when he's with when he's with Roxanne on the porch and they're he, he's admitting to lying and she's revealing that, hey, I liked you before all this power line stuff. 
the, the music is very sweet. Now, that's not my big takeaway as far as music goes in this movie, but I just wanted to mention it because Burwell and Don Davis are pretty big names in the soundtrack community. So uh, very cool that they worked on this together. Uh, now, Andrew, what, what about the soundtrack songs? What do you have to say about those? Anything from Powerline. Like this throughout the entire movie where they're singing the standout song. You get snippets here and there. You get the majority of the song in the beginning, and um, every like you see Peach dancing to it in the middle while he's cleaning uh, the the RV. It's all it was just it's just catchy. It's catchy '90s music, and who can't love that? And then obviously, eye to eye at the very end is my jam. <laughs> yeah, you were singing it for a good ten <laughs> minutes after we finished watching, and I probably will for the next like three months. So that's just how it goes. I mean, it just gets stuck in your head. It's uh, it's the perfect amount of cheesy and the perfect amount of catchy. Um, and those are definitely my my favorite songs. In fact, I I kind of forgot there were other songs in this movie because I really only remember the Powerline songs. Yeah, the Powerline songs are definitely the ones that people remember most, especially Eye to Eye at the end because it comes with the big dance number. And there was a video that started floating around a couple of years ago. Um, I don't remember. I think it's Peter Hollins and somebody else did a collaboration where they did a live action performance of that song at some festival. And I'll include the link to that in the show notes because it's definitely quite the nostalgia trip if you remember watching this movie when you were younger. I really like Stand Out by Powerline as well because we actually get it in two parts at the beginning of the film. There's the first time we hear it when he's on stage and he's at the rally and he's getting everybody to notice him. And then afterwards, after he's already been to the principal's office and he's established this date with Roxanne at the end of the next week and he leaves school and his journey home is punctuated with Stand Out. And it's a cool contrast because those two scenes, there's a scene, the reprise of Stand Out and then before on his way to school when he's singing uh, After Today. And during After Today, he's clumsy, he's tripping on marbles, he's running into people who don't like him or making fun of him and things just really aren't going his way. He ends that song with, I wish that this was the day after today. It's already not going my way, but then things go his way and he sings the reprise of stand out and everything all of a sudden is going his way. He's pulling off these cool skateboard tricks. He's, he's, he just has quite the journey home and it's a lot of fun that we get this song in two parts and they really contrast between each other. Um, now, aside from, eye to eye at the very end which is really a culmination of the resolution between these characters the other favorite i have as i already said is nobody else but you now what i love about really all the songs in this movie is that they all really build the narrative there aren't really throwaway songs in this movie you start with after today which is establishing max's feelings for roxanne you've got on the open road which is sort of the journey begins song nobody else but you mitigates the anger and the disappointment between the father-son duo and then like i said eye to eye is a culmination of the resolution and stand out at the beginning also establishes really what max is trying to do this whole movie is stand out from the crowd and be his own person it's just really cool when you can have a movie where all the songs are building the story and building the characters and not just sort of set pieces where they get to a point, they sing a song, nothing really happens, but it looks pretty, and then they move on. I, I like that they don't fall back on that. That is a fantastic point that the songs, after watching again and realizing that there are other songs in the movie, are very crucial to the storyline. You wouldn't get a lot of the character development. You wouldn't under you know get a lot of that resolution if you were to take these songs out. Like you wouldn't have a story essentially. So I, I definitely agree that 
you see the characters grow and you see major points and uh, progression through the narrative through song. And I, I, I definitely enjoy that. The the songs here, they're they're firmly planted in my childhood. And even watching today after the first time in several years, at least, I can sing along to most of them in many ways. I remember a lot of the lyrics and even without the music, I think I could do a pretty good job of just remembering and not missing too much of these songs. They, they really are part of my childhood in a big way. Now, moving on to takeaways from the movie. This is a 78 minute Disney movie, but as we've been talking about, there's a lot that we can take away and there's a lot that we can sort of learn from, especially as a kid, something that's this short and digestible and fun. It's great that Disney is able to pack these kinds of lessons into a movie such as this. So what's one of your takeaways, Andrew? I would have to say one of the bigger takeaways is growing up, maturing, isn't necessarily the monster we make it out to be. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of change. Things may not always go the way we want, or you know, we may have fights, we may have struggles along the way, but ultimately, if we open those lines of communication, if we work together and really build you know, strong relationships with those around us, everything seems to work out for the better in the end. I think so too. There's also a lesson about lying in this movie and about how it just makes things worse. Max lies to Roxanne about his vacation. Max lies to Goofy about changing the map. Goofy doesn't lie to Max, but he does withhold the information that he knows about this, quote, riot that he caused on the last day of school. And withholding information a lot of the time is very akin to lying. Uh, so th there's just not good things that that spawn off of the lack of communication, lack of truth telling in this movie. And you really see, hey, if I don't tell the truth, then there are going to be consequences. And it, it's one of the smaller lessons from the movie, but it's there nonetheless, as well as just the basic idea of how communication is key. I already talked about this, so I won't drill it home. But Roxanne admits at the end that she already liked Max before anything to do with Powerline. Max told Goofy the truth about Roxanne in the concert, and Goofy was willing to help after he told him the truth. You know, in both of those instances, if they had just communicated from the beginning, if Max had told Roxanne how he felt, if if Goofy had told Max about the situation that happened at school, the the movie wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so I guess it's important that, that they did make these decisions, and the movie did progress the way it did, and they did learn from it. But they also would have resolved differences, and communicated better from the very beginning and would have started building those relationships sooner so i think that's a pretty good lesson as well actually as you were talking i, I kind of realized something else that especially in terms of being honest and not lying and this may be a stretch but but hear me out i definitely feel like it may be playing into this kind of societal need um, or this societal instinct that people won't accept us how we are. There has to be some major change. We have to be some super popular someone. We have to be the megastar on the stage. We can't be the same. We can't be like our fathers. We have to be different. And this kind of, a lot of the lying in the movie comes from masking our feelings or trying not to show who we are. And so, you know, when Goofy is afraid that, you know, he's losing his son, he doesn't approach that honestly not with himself saying why am i going on this camping trip is it because you know i want to connect with my son or is it my own fear 
of losing him. Why, with Max, why don't I just talk to Roxanne? Because of his own fear of not, the fear of rejection, not being accepted um, because of how he sees himself. So I, I definitely think that's where a lot of the dishonesty comes from, is trying to hide our own fears and trying to hide the fact that we don't think ourselves good enough. Again, maybe a stretch, but I'm just, as you, as you said that, I, I realized that the lies weren't necessarily malicious, but they were mainly caused from people who are characters who didn't want to show that vulnerable side or admit to themselves that they were afraid. No, I think there's definitely some truth in there. And, you know, if a movie makes you think about something, then it definitely has validity because movies are more than just entertainment a lot of the time, or at least the way I like to view them, they're definitely more than entertainment. So yeah, I like that. Now, my big takeaway was this notion that parents and kids are a give and take relationship. It's back and forth. And really, it goes beyond parents and kids. But that's the relationship that's mainly presented in this movie. There's the idea of love versus respect. Pete is definitely right about some things in this movie when it comes to drawing lines, when it comes to establishing authority, when it comes to just being a parent. Like, this is my job, this is my role, is to to keep you in line and to make sure that you're growing up the way you're supposed to. Pete's right about that in a couple instances in this movie. But there also has to be a relationship, and Pete and PJ don't really have a relationship. There's, there's two scenes that I actually noticed in this uh, viewing that mirror each other. The first is when Max is angry about going on the vacation and he's sort of trapped in the car. And the other one's at the end of the film where Max has taken the wrong turn at the junction and Goofy is angry and he's trapped in the car. And in both situations, they're completely unable to properly communicate due to their anger. So if they had been honest with each other, if they had talked to each other, if they'd had a positive relationship established, then they would have been able to explain themselves and explain what they, why they were making these choices. And in the song, Eye to Eye, I said it's a culmination of the resolution. The lyrics of the chorus are, if we listen to each other's hearts, we'll find we're never too far apart. And maybe love is a reason why, for the first time ever, we're seeing it eye to eye. And this is right after Goofy and Max start communicating and start seeing it eye to eye and it's a give and take relationship when they talk when they apologize they're honest with each other they're willing to help out and that's my big takeaway is that father son mother daughter any mix of those friends you have to communicate to each other you have to be willing to give and to take there are combinations of roles within that whether it's it's being a rule establisher establishing your authority or just listening sometimes and allowing people to make mistakes or to to make their own decisions and be their own person there has to be a mix and there has to be a relationship or it's just not going to end as well as it could yes that's a hundred percent agree there there always needs to be that balance um and there always is i i just you're so right in that the eye to eye song is the culmination of you know this resolution throughout the film that they're finally showing their their true self they're they're opening up their their most vulnerable self listening to each other's heart finally seeing things eye to eye these lyrics there i mean they they have meaning they're they're catchy yes they're fantastic i love to sing them a thousand times and you know, I'll drive you insane the next couple of weeks doing it. However, the, it's it's because, you know, lyrically, they have weight. This is a very important theme that once you're truly honest with yourself and truly honest with those around you, 
you'll be amazed at how that can affect your relationships and you will be amazed at how much more progress you can make in your own goals and your you know your your personal life when you're there to help other people and you're honest about needing help when when push comes to shove definitely and i just want to read a couple more lines from the song uh there's maybe we'll discover what we should have known all along one way or another together is where we both belong and then in the next verse, it starts with, if a wall should come between us, too high to climb, too hard to break through, I know that love will lead us and find a way to bring me to you. Preach. So again, it's it's Preach. that's what this movie is about. I, I love the father-son relationship. That's what I really latch on to now as I'm older. Yes, the the goofy moments are fun. Yes, the, the colors and the music are fun. Um, there's some silly stuff. There's some goofy stuff. It, it's a goofy movie. But the father-son relationship is what really I take away from at the end of the day. So, I think with that, that is the end of the official 54th episode of Cinescope. Thank you, Andrew, for recording this with me and checking another box <laughs> on our staple movies list that we talk about on this show. Of course. Glad I could help you with the most serious review of the Goofy movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Podcast and at Pod on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That's a big help to the show. It's been a while since we had iTunes reviews. So if you listen to the show, if you enjoy the show, please consider doing that. It, it's a big help and it helps us to reach out to more people. If you have feedback or if you have ideas, you can always email thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And also, if you're interested in co-hosting, you can contact me through email there as well. Now, Andrew... We've established in the past you don't use a whole lot of social media, but is there any any places you want people to know of? Not not really. <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still not really on social media. You you can see his old tweets at Papa G seventy three, but for the most part, as we always say, whenever Andrew's on, if you want to talk to Andrew, talk to me, and we'll get you in touch. <laughs> Sounds good. The best place for me, as always, is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C H A D A D A D A and facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And just a side note, if you send me a friend request, that's perfectly okay, but just let me know that you're a listener to the podcast and I'm not just getting a random friend request. Uh, that's happened a couple times recently. I've gotten a bigger influx of spam friend requests on Facebook. So just if you're a podcast listener, love to be friends with you, but let me know so that I'm not ignoring or deleting your request. Now, show notes and all contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. And I do just want to remind everybody, last week we launched our new The Office podcast. We just released episode four of that yesterday as of releasing this episode of Cinescope. So if you like The Office, if you're interested in rewatching with us two episodes a week, we talked about the first two episodes of season two, The Dundies and Sexual Harassment this week, and it was a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to exploring the rest of the show with my friend Katie. So go check that out in American Workplace. You can find the link in the show notes. And that is all for this week. Thank you once again, Andrew. It's uh, always nice talking with you about movies. Uh, we, we do it all the time, but it's just not very often we do it for the show. So thanks for coming. Of course. Uh, of course. Glad I could. And thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 54. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope. And we'll be back next week with episode 55. Have fun and celebrate movies.